Ag State of Mind, episode 13. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we have Adele Stewart. Adele is the director of the Do More Agriculture Foundation. Do More Ag is a nonprofit organization focused on mental health and agriculture across Canada. Do More Ag champions mental well-being for all Canadian producers, changing the culture of agriculture to one where producers are encouraged, supported, and empowered to take care of their mental well-being. Do More Ag's focus and efforts are driven by three pillars, awareness, community, and research. Just recently, earlier this year, Adele was introduced as the executive director of Do More Ag. So we talked to her a little bit about her journey towards Do More and where she fits into the mental health sector and uh, a little bit about her, also her personal love for horses, which is something that her and I share, um, a passion for horses. So very excited to talk to Adele and get her out in front of our audience. So before we get started, uh, like every show, I start this one again by encouraging you to go find us on whatever podcast medium you subscribe to and leave us a review. Reviews help us to get out in front of a bigger audience. So please go leave us a review and uh, we would greatly appreciate it. So um, without anything further, here is my interview with Adele Stewart from the Do More Agriculture Foundation. Hello, Adele. Welcome to the show today. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Good, good. So if you wouldn't mind, would you um, would you tell us just a little bit about yourself and kind of your background, maybe how, how you grew up in ag and kind of give us a good feeling of where you're coming from? Yeah, for sure. So actually, I was a farm girl stuck in the city uh, as a kid growing up. I did grow up in the city, but... Um, uh, grandparents were farming, so we were always out for seeding and harvest. They ran a grain farm a couple of hours from the city, so we're, we're familiar in that. And uh, yeah, then as soon as I became an adult, I um, you know took control of my life and got out into the dirt, so to say. And yeah, I've been on a um, farmer and acreage for about the last um, ten years now, running like a boarding facility. Very neat, cool. Now, what what city did you grow up in? I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Okay, so you're you're Canadian for all those who are not familiar with our neighbors to the north. Um, you know, talking to people from Canada is a little bit foreign to me as far south as I am. You know, I think the borders are kind of blurred for folks in the upper Midwest, you know, people in the Dakotas, Minnesota. But, you know, it's uh, kind of doesn't really happen a whole lot for us uh, further down south. Yeah, we're all the way. Yeah. So I want to now, are are you currently farming now at all while you're working? Um, other than I know you work with horses quite a bit. 
Yeah, no, I am not doing, uh, I'm not a producer per se. Um, I just run, yeah, a small boarding facility, equine boarding facility here. So just, yeah, taking care of them. And I'm impacted by all the producers, of course, with, you know, hay and, and all of that good stuff. But yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your operation with the horses there because that's kind of a passion of mine as well. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but now I want you to tell me a little bit about the Do More Ag Foundation. Yeah, so Do More Ag is about a year and a half old now. It launched in January of 2018. And our Co-founders are still on our board of directors and really actively involved, but it all started with a tweet that one of the founders sent out to tell her she was um, approached by somebody over here that she didn't know in June of 2017 um, that was experiencing a crisis and, and she didn't know how to help. It was a fellow producer and she sent out a tweet that just said, Egg, we got to do more. And um, from there, the people were just basically ready for the foundation here. And we had partners coming on board and media support. And it just basically snowballed to where we are now uh, with the mission to continue to reduce stigma, um, bring awareness to how unique egg is, and then as well to continue to promote mental health literacy with combining those really unique factors of, of how different ag is. So it's really interesting. I've never, you know, I've, I've heard about Do More Ag for, for a little while now, um, just kind of because it's kind of in my wheelhouse. But I guess I never even really considered where the name came from and I never really researched it. But that's really interesting that say we, you know, we have to do more. You know, and that's, I mean, what a what a great name, you know, because it really kind of, encompasses what y'all are trying to do in a in a simple way yeah exactly and it's kind of you know it was never like an outward intention to start this foundation it just came from that yeah do more sweet and then you know Kim was like well let's let's be the ones to do more so um you know it was a really organic and really authentic you know startup so where does your interest in mental health come from? Is that something that you've experienced? Is it something that you just saw a need for and you wanted to act on? Well, yeah, I kind of have a long story with that. And um, honestly, I kind of I kind of talk about how a couple of years ago, I mean, not so many behind me, five or six years ago, mental health wasn't all that important to me. I, I have not really experienced mental illness myself. But I did lose a cousin to suicide. So that really kind of started my thing um, in my perceptions of mental health and mental illness. And then the company that I was working for before I came to Juneau, I was working for And about two years after I lost my cousin, they decided to open a mental health department. And I was kind of just... So the project kind of fell into my lap where we were doing, um, you know, content development and education and seminars and facilitation. And I just kind of really started to understand mental illness. So it became really important to me. And then in terms of, you know, marrying that with my my passion for agriculture and the rural lifestyle, um, it's what, you know, led me to more. 
That's really interesting because it's um, it's not all that dissimilar in my path because I myself I'm a pharmacist by trade, and you know I was I've been involved in agriculture my entire life, but mental health when I was in school especially wasn't something that was particularly important. In fact, you know when the lectures would come up, I would just kind of go into you know kind of um, autopilot and not, you know, just kind of learn the stuff and not really think it was anything that was going to be that that impactful to me. But then, you know, you kind of see the world, how, how it's changing, how people are becoming affected, you know, and, you know, it, I found something that's going to be, you know, a very, what well, already is a really important need. And it's going to be, I think, even more important in the coming years. So, uh, you know, so I, I find that interesting that, you know, that's something that you haven't always been intrigued by, but it's something that's kind of piqued your interest a little more in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how did you and Do More come together? How how did that um, relationship become forged? Well, it first started that Do More was asked to do quite a bit of presenting after they launched. So they were actually seeking out kind of a partner or a community partner, as we call it, to come together with them that they wanted to do kind of the the mental health education literacy side of it, but they wanted to be there with um, to represent the egg side of it. So they started, um, we had some discussions between Burgess Health and Dumois, where I was at previously about this. And then Kim and I actually, and Les Vitelli and I started doing some co-presenting basically all across Canada. We were kind of all being asked to come to the same places, um, whether we went there jointly or whether we were both invited independently. So we really got to know each other over the course of about a year. And then it just so happened that I was, you know, a little bit looking for for a change after a 20-year career with one organization, and they were looking for an executive director. So I, you know, say the stars aligned, honestly, on that. Huh. That's uh, that's really interesting, kind of just kind of meant to be type thing. It really was. The timing was right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how that always seems to happen where the timing's right. <laughs> Tell me about, I've, I've seen a lot about these mental, you guys are doing these mental health first aid type things. How is that done and how do we, who is that geared toward? Yeah, so the mental health first aid courses, we're currently in year two of that, and it is, um, it's put through a program that we call the Community Fund, and that is um, largely funded by one of our national lenders, um, the Agriculture Specific Lenders, uh, FCC, here in Canada, and they, yeah, we contract out the mental health first aid um, instructors and, and facilitators, but we look to community leaders. So individual producers from across rural Canada apply and the training is brought to their rural locations um, completely free of charge to train, um, you know, friends, families, neighbors, co-workers in those rural areas with the skills and abilities to start to identify um, mental stress, mental illness, mental crisis and um, start to have, you know, conversations and uh, provide appropriate intervention until or if professional medical health is needed. Yeah, you know, I think I think people, as far as, you know, the stigma associated with mental health, I think what people 
don't understand is mental health is there regardless of whether there's an illness or not. You know, we are all concerned with our, we're all concerned with our cardiac health. We're all concerned with our respiratory health. You know, so why wouldn't we all be concerned with our mental health? It's something that is just as vital to our overall health and our overall being. But I, it's just, there's, I think that's just part of the stigma is that people don't quite understand that just because they aren't they aren't suffering from full-blown depression or full-blown anxiety that they still shouldn't be concerned about their mental health and that even if they are having thoughts or having stresses you know that those things getting it from one point a to point b is is preventable you know just like you said with just a little bit of help um just like a real first aid you know you wouldn't call the orthopedic surgeon if you sprained your ankle you know, so why involve a a psychiatrist or a psychologist when things are not to that level yet? You you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There's a difference between you know, like yeah, a headache and you know something a, a chronic illness needing a specialist for sure. Right. Yeah, but you know, getting people out there on those front lines to talk to people, you know, you may never know the full impact of prevention. You know, prevention is always more effective than treatment in regardless of the disease state. So, you know, getting the people like the seed dealers and the veterinarians and the equipment salesmen, even mechanics, the type of people who see the folks, see the farmers and they're in it day in, day out to get them to understand that this is an issue mm-hmm. is super important because, We'll never know how how impactful that can be if if we do it right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's like anything that is left untreated or untalked about, and you know that it can progress sometimes beyond health. And of course, we hope that it never gets that way. So you are completely right when you know the preventative strategy for a total health is key. Right, right. So I do want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about breaking the stigma because. It's it's something that, you know, we can sit here and talk about, oh, you have to talk about it. You have to talk about it all day. But, you know, in reality, that's that's really hard for some people to talk about. So how do we how do we make that a little bit easier? How do we kind of soften that conversation around around mental health? Because, I mean, I know it's it's I'll just give you an example in my everyday as a pharmacist. Somebody walks in and they want to talk about their blood pressure medicine. They they have no issue just, you know, telling me how they feel, telling it how it makes them feel, you know, telling them what their blood pressure readings are, you know, showing me a chart of those. But when people want to talk about their antidepressant medication or their anti-anxiety medication, they walk in and they uh, they just have this... I don't know how else to describe it other than a, like a sheepish look. So, I mean, they they are embarrassed by it because they feel like they are less than. They feel like that they the problems they have make them a lesser of a person. So how do we how do we stop that? How do we make that just normal? Yeah, like, I mean, you would understand the, the medical side of it. Like, you know, I think it's no small you know, when somebody is experiencing the thoughts, you know, that they are with anxiety or depression, um, you see like, well, this is, 
just as normal, you know, honestly, in my, as I continue down this path and improve my mental health literacy and things like that, I really think that it is, you know, the, I encourage people that the burden of the talk and the opening of it should, should switch to those who are, you know, mentally, mentally healthy and, and in a well place, start to open those conversations instead of expecting someone who maybe is suffering to be the first one to talk. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, there's no easy way to go about it other than I think the, the kind of the, the thing they tell people is just to ask somebody if they're okay. And if they're not okay, they'll tell you, you know, I mean, I, from what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. And, you know, to have those conversations to feel okay to, you know, address that instead of being like, you know, well... Jason, I noticed that you were walking with a limp. Is how's your hip feeling? You know, to say the same thing. You know, Jason, you know that you kind of, you know, you haven't been in to community hopper for a morning coffee, or you know, this, you know, this that or the next thing. I just wanted to check in about your how your mental health is. You know, those are you know different types of conversations we that we definitely don't see as everyday ones yet. Yeah. And I think just, but I think just making it normal is just going to have to be some growing pains and we're just going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I mean that as, as hard as that sound, you know, if we, if we do just a little bit of it at a time, then, you know, eventually it'll compound and it'll just become, eventually become second nature to us. I feel like. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Absolutely. We're, we're on the path, but uh, when we look at, you know, psychological health and safety, and then we look at, you know, when occupational health and safety was implemented, I mean, it took decades and it was scoffed at, you know, and now it's just common place. So um, it's not an overnight process, but I do think we can get there. Right, right. Okay. So now I finally want to get to the real fun stuff. I want to talk about your horses. What kind of horses do you have? Uh, mostly quarter horses up here. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm concerned, quarter horses are the only horses. The only horse. Okay. Well, we'll get along. Fine. <laughs> yeah. We. Uh, my. My dad raised quarter horses for, for the better part of our lives. Um, you know, we. Uh, we raised pleasure horses for a long time, and uh, you know, it was uh, a big part of what we did. We don't do much of it anymore. But uh, it was uh, it was a really enjoyable, and I always say horses are my favorite animals. Even though, you know, everybody always kind of assumes that it's cattle, but uh, horses are on top of that list. So, do you do you do some therapy riding there? Um, so I do what's called equine learning. So we use the horses to teach life skills to people, whether that be you know communication, negotiation, leadership working as a team with a family dynamic and things like that so that's not done on the back of the horse but it's using the horse to a teacher um, through a series of drawing exercises and obstacles and, and reflections as individuals and uh, as a group actually that's really interesting you know because i can tell you for one that horses are incredibly therapeutic animals i don't know why and maybe you know why but uh, i remember my dad always used to say that he could be awake in the middle of the night, something on his mind, and he could go get a horse out of a stall, tie it to the, you know, tie it to the cross ties, brush it, 
just get away from the world. And he could put that horse back in the stall, go back in the house, and he'd sleep like a baby the rest of the night. You know, so I don't know what what the real reason for that is. Um, is there a confirmed physiologic, psychologic reason horses are like that? You know, honestly, aside from feeling that, you know, they really are the most intuitive, you know, type of animal that they, you know, they are my, honestly, they're my therapy. Uh, they're my counselors uh, for the most part. But um, if you want to get just a little bit geeky, then yeah, there have been studies. I've read multiple studies done actually how a horse and a human's heart rate variability will actually start to match and mirror each other. So if we as a human allow ourselves really to have that equine medicine, they honestly have the ability to, to calm our heart rate. Really? So there are studies that confirm this then? Yeah, I've, uh, in, in my in assisted learning um, travels, I've uh, yeah, read a couple of those actually this year. So that's, that was pretty cool that it actually is more than that intuitive piece of it. That's really interesting. I, you know, the science guy in me, he always wants to know the concrete evidence. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's oh no, absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, uh, otherwise, I always just kind of feel like stuff is anecdotal. But if there is actually, you know, if there's actually studied, you know, evidence study uh, studies showing that. I mean, I'm even I'm even more convinced, obviously. <laughs> so Adele, um. I- I'm kind of running a little short on time here today, but I want to give you an opportunity to first, if there's anything we missed that you feel like we should talk about and you should feel people listening to this podcast should know about you or do more or just breaking the mental health stigma in agriculture in general, um, I want you to share that. And two, where do people find you and where do people find Do More Ag online? Yeah, for sure. No, I think... um we had a really great conversation. I don't think, you know, we missed everything. Everything has sometimes more people talking about this is what is needed. So honestly, I really thank you for that. Yeah, no doubt. So in terms of us, we are online. We are on every social media um, channel, um, our campaigns and our awareness and you know, self-help tips and things like that you can find on all of our social uh, and online on the web, we are at www.dumore.ag. So .ag, is that a, are there very many .ag sites? I don't know if I I know of any. I have honestly, yeah, never, never heard of one. So I think we're a pioneer there, but it makes us unique. And That's pretty cool. Like that's, that, that's pretty cool. I think, you know, to be, you know, that kind of makes you stand out. I don't know. I think that's. Yeah, I can't I, take any of the credit for it. Yeah, I, I like that. It's kind of like, I don't know, um, you know, just to even have a dot ag, I think is, I think is awesome. So, and then for your site to be that is, so. well, Adele, I appreciate your time here on this afternoon. I know we had kind of a hard time hooking up, but uh, I'm glad we finally got to talk to one another. And uh, I wish you all the best and uh, maybe we'll do this again soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. 
And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. Thank you.